Welcome to a special hour of Access Utah, special second hour today. We wanted to treat the COVID situation in Utah, um, and uh, we're going to do that this hour and invite your questions and comments uh, throughout the hour. Utah recently set a new single-day record for COVID-19 cases. Uh, Governor Herbert, as you know, has announced new guidelines, and the Utah Public Health Association is calling for stricter measures to be taken to slow the spread of the coronavirus. And uh, in this hour, we'll be talking with uh, Brady Bradford, who is health director with the Southeast Utah Health Department. Uh, Brady Bradford, welcome back to the program. Uh, thank you very much. Thank, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. I know things are busy. Uh, Caleb Harrison, epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate that. And Ben Hart is Deputy Director for, at the Governor's Office of Economic Development involved in the uh, the, the state's response to uh, COVID-19. Ben Hart, thank you for joining us. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. You can get your question or comment to us right now by email throughout the hour by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And you can call us uh, 800-826-1495. Um, G, uh, email, probably the, the best way to get to us right now, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Let me start with uh, Ben Hart. Um, of course, the situation, uh, you know, getting more dire as we go along. Uh, cases continuing uh, to, to rise. Um, remind us, what uh, Governor Herbert came out with some, uh, some new guidelines, uh, uh, I guess new alert levels. Uh, remind us what those are. Yes, happy to do so. And as I think probably everyone remembers, we uh, not only heard about them through the news, but many of us got a text last week as well, which was kind of a unique way um, to remind people about some of these guidelines. But uh, in in essence, what it is, is we're asking people, the state's asking people, um, not to have uh, social gathering events of more than 10 people. There's been a lot of confusion about what a, what a social, social gathering event is, and I've had people who've asked, is that church, is that school, is that, and, and really what it is, is we're talking about events that happen in the home with non-immediate family members, or wherever it may be, not an organized event, but with non-immediate family members. And so um, the governor also had a chance to meet with uh, Dr. Deborah Burt over the weekend uh, with her team and the Unified Command here for the state of Utah and to get a sense for best practices nationally. And so where we're seeing a lot of the spread right now is in the home, in parties, in social gatherings. That's really tough when we're coming into the holiday season, but this guidance is really meant to help control uh, the spread of the, and transmission of the coronavirus. Um, yeah, so the social gathering has been a bit confusing. There are exceptions for religious services, I think, and, and other uh, other things. So this is purely social gatherings? Yes. So what it is, it's not uh, church services. It's not um, uh, school, obviously. But what it is, you know, we saw a few examples of this over the weekend where there were large crowds that got together, and, you know, no one's wearing masks, no one's social distancing, and so even when it comes to having people and family members into your home for holiday gatherings, whatever it may be, um, we're encouraging people to wear masks in those situations. And so as you're thinking about Thanksgiving, as you're thinking about Christmas, um, these are the events where uh, the, the transmission is spreading. And so as a state, we've got to be really, really cautious 
about uh, bringing too many people together and allowing for significant spread. And you think about the multiplier impact of that. One person gets it, and then their family, and then, you know, the people that they're with. It can spread, as we're seeing, very, very quickly. And so even with holiday gatherings, whatever it may be, um, we're asking people to wear masks. And so you'll even see this reintroduced with uh, media over the next uh, few weeks in, in terms of encouraging people what it looks like, you know, what these guidelines are. But, you know, we're hearing of events where older people may be in attendance. Um, you may have some older grandparents that are at your house or whatever it may be, those who are really vulnerable. Um, we want to we curb not only the transmission but the harm, those who are impacted and, you know, for those who this uh, virus is fatal. We want to keep those people safe and out of harm's way. Best way to do that, wear a mask when you're at social gatherings, limit um, you know, the number of people that you're having over this Christmas or this Thanksgiving, we know it's tough, but now we're, we're really talking about matters of life and death. And so uh, the, the state is obviously ramping up our, our guidance and our encouragement to people to really be safe this holiday season. Uh, let me turn to Brady Bradford, Health Director with the Southeast Utah Health Department. Uh, it looks like numbers are up um, and quite a bit up over many areas of Utah, uh, including uh, your health department. Yes, we've seen uh, quite a increase over the past about three, three and a half weeks. Uh, remind us, uh, you have three counties, do you, I think? Yes, we cover Carbon, Emory, and Grand Counties. Okay. Um, so so a, a big increase. Uh, I don't know if you uh, are able to tell why the, the numbers are going um, up in your area. Yeah, we, we, we've, we've looked a lot of, at it, and um, it corresponds pretty um, accurately with the start of schools. Now, our, our school population has not been drastically affected. Certainly there have been cases and, and we've had to quarantine certain uh, groups of students, cheerleaders and basketball teams and such. Um, but um, we that's as close as we can come to, to figuring out kind of the, the general impact that, that, that this that school has had. So even though those numbers aren't huge, it, it, uh, that's the start of our increase locally. Mm. Um, and Caleb Harrison, epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department. First of all, what uh, what areas does the Bear River uh, uh, cover? Yeah, so the Bear River Health District encompasses the three counties of Cache, Box Elder, and Rich counties. Um, and similar to what Brady said, uh, we've we've had quite an increase, especially over the past two months or so, also corresponding with uh, with the start of schools. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so a start of schools. Uh, so we we have had cases in in uh, what K through twelve, I guess, and uh, universities as well. Yeah. So similar to what Brady said, we uh, although there have been cases within K through twelve uh, schools as well as in the universities. Um, so far, there's been in K through twelve schools. There's been little evidence of uh, spread within schools We've, within our district. Uh, we've seen uh, fewer than 10 cases of confirmed transmission from a student to another student in the classroom or student to a teacher in the classroom. Most of those cases that have taken place in the school 
have been from uh, household transmission. So one, uh, for example, a student uh, getting it from their, their parent and then going to school. Um, also, as Brady mentioned, uh, you know, the growth that we've seen since the beginning of September uh, might not be necessarily from transmission happening in the school, but rather as school uh, starts and more people uh, return to work and uh, other social gatherings associated with that uh, could easily be a source of the increase in transmission that we've seen. So it sounds like the uh, a concern on, on opening schools uh, has at least in part come to pass. Uh, student goes to school, catches the virus, brings it home. At le- yeah, at least in a small amount. I, mm-hmm. I think from the numbers that we have, we've seen that again the, the prevention measures that are being put in place in schools have been, especially K through twelve schools, have been extremely effective. Um, however, I think it's some more of the collateral effects of school being opened, of uh, more people being back to work, more people uh, having social gatherings. We've seen an uptick in uh, the number of uh, community-transmitted cases, so cases caused by unknown persons, people just uh, contracting the virus from being out in the community. Um, So that has definitely contributed to the uptick in cases. So um, you're epidemiologist with the department. Uh, so uh, I, I guess we one theory that we could put forward is it's getting colder. People are indoors more. Um, virus more easily transmitted indoors. Is would that be a reason or, or at least a concern? Absolutely, absolutely. You know that's the reason why flu season is the way that it is every year. Flu season. Uh, the flu transmits much more easily because as it's colder, more people spend in time indoors, uh, more contact, uh, close contact with family members, and it passes easier. And so we can assume that we'll, we'll see similar patterns as, uh, as it gets colder outside with COVID. Uh, we're talking about COVID on this uh, special uh, hour of Access Utah, and uh, we have with us uh, Brady Bradford, Health Director with Southeast Utah Health Department, Caleb Harrison, Epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department, and Ben Hart, Deputy Director of the Governor's Office of Economic Development. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, your question or comment, very welcome. Uh, love to hear from you. UPRAxis at gmail.com. UPRAxis at gmail.com is the best way to join us. And uh, we've received this email from Kate in Logan. Uh, Kate says, It seems to me that more mandates and guideline changes won't really do much as long as they're not enforced. It's clear that expecting people to do their part in stopping the spread has not worked. If it had, the rates in Utah wouldn't keep climbing. There are many who are doing what they can, but they and their families are uh, falling ill because of the negligence of others. What's going to make these new guidelines any more successful? Let me direct this uh, first uh, to Ben Hart uh, with the with the governor's office, um, and and this goes to, you know, political officials, uh, health officials. Um, I guess you know, been trying to thread the needle, right? There, there, there's a segment of the of the community that says uh, we don't want mandates, right? And then there's another segment of the community that says we need mandates. Uh, I wonder what your reaction is to Kate's uh, uh, point here, that uh, if we were enforcing some of these rules uh, a little better, the rates wouldn't be climbing. Well, I think enforcement is always a, a really 
In this case, it can be a divisive issue. I think many people feel like um, enforcement uh, may not help in some ways. It, it, it could actually lead to, um, let me not say that it could uh, hurt, but let me, let me just say that there are better ways to get people to understand. And I think a lot of that is through education. One of the things that we've really been trying to do over the last several months is to educate people about the importance of wearing masks. Um, I think we, there, there definitely is a large fraction of people who don't want to see mandates, and we understand that. But at the same time, we've got to keep people safe as well. And so the governor has balanced, I think, a lot of different voices that have been, you know, in his ear trying to get him to uh, go one way or the other. I think everyone has an opinion on, on the best way to handle this. There's no question. And so I think he's very... Uh, diligent in terms of trying to understand the science, trying to understand um, not only the health side of this, but also the human behavior side of this. And, and I think that's really what this question speaks to is, is how do we get people to listen and to do something that we know is right? And, you know, enforcement could be one way that might be a, an area where you, you know, enforce it and you could get people to do it through uh, better coercion. But, you know, if we find ways to educate people, I'm, I'm hopeful, and I think a lot of people in the state are hopeful, that if you can just help them understand the importance, that's really, really important. And I think for a lot of us, we say, well, it's logical that you would wear a mask. You know, it, you can understand the science. We've seen the studies. There, is, there are a lot of really bad, loud voices out there that are, that are spreading misinformation about wearing masks. I've, I've been shocked and appalled as I've seen some of the rhetoric and some of the propaganda that is anti-mask is for those of us who've been involved with the state's coronavirus response, I'm, I'm more on the economic side, but um, I, we really get the importance of wearing masks. I, it, right now, wearing a mask and physically distancing are some of the closest things we've got to a silver bullet, and yet people still aren't doing it. Um, if coercion works and uh, the only way you can do it is through handing out a ticket or through handing out a fine, I think we've seen in other places where that has not worked. And I think we've got to take a really important balance and make sure that we, we really help educate people. We try and break through some of the misinformation because there's a lot of it out there. But at the end of the, the conversation, this comes down to individual decisions and, uh, you know, having the best information to make those decisions. And I think that's where we want to empower people and really help them understand why they need to make the right choice. Um, and so I... I, I think it's a very, very valid point. And I think, you know, we see it and we just want to react and say, let's just force people to do it. And I just, I think as you look across the country, they're still having people, even in those situations, who are not wearing masks. So we've got to find a way to cut through the misinformation to help people understand the importance of things like, and most importantly, wearing masks and physically distancing. And I think we feel like that's our best approach. If it comes to a point where you have to enforce, I, the governor has said that everything's on the table. I, I, I can't speak for him and what he would decide to do, but uh, I think he said everything's on the table. But I think we've really got to help educate people. Let me turn next to uh, Caleb Harrison. So with your epidemiologist hat on um, and recognizing that we're perhaps mostly preaching to the choir with our audience here, um, talk to me about masks. Are masks effective? 
Yeah, yeah. What Ben said uh, that it's uh, between masks and social distancing, that it's as close to a silver bullet as we as as we can get. Um, you know, and we know that even with the cloth masks that uh, most people use, that can uh, stop the spread of the respiratory droplets that drive much of the transmission. Um, but really, it, it comes down to uh, my mask protecting you and your mask protecting me. That um, you know, if I I wear my mask, I can stop those respiratory droplets that contain the virus from getting on you. If I'm talking at you or or if I happen to sneeze or cough, but it really is the, the masks are most effective when the large majority of the, the population are using them. So it's it's a collective effort that needs to happen for um, everybody to be able to be protected from the spread of this virus. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, uh, when I wear my mask, am I wearing it for me or am I wearing it for my neighbor? I get, you're saying both. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's studies still ongoing looking at how effective masks are at um, at preventing you from contracting the virus from someone else. Say you're talking to someone who's not wearing a virus, how much uh, that stops the virus from uh, getting into your body. Um, There are a few masks such as the N95 and KN95 that um, are are more proven to be effective at preventing uh, or at providing protection for the wearer. Um, uh, as far as the cloth masks go, uh, evidence currently shows that there's some protection provided to the wearer, but um, more importantly and more so, the, protect, the protection that provides is for the people around you, again, to stop the spread of those respiratory droplets as you uh, talk to others, as you interact with them to really keep, uh, if you do have the virus, to be able to keep that uh, immediately with you uh, and not spread it to others. Uh, reminder, we're at a, a second hour, special hour of Access Utah, and we're, uh, we're talking about COVID-19 in Utah. Uh, cases are uh, spiking in Utah, and uh, new guidelines are out from the governor's office. Um, we'll get into talking about uh, suggestions from the Utah Public Health Association. They're calling for stricter measures. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that as we go along as well. But we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you the best way to get to us uh, this hour is by email, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Your question or your comment or both, upraxcess at gmail.com. We have a listener in Carbon County who's emailed us, and so I'll direct this uh, first uh, to Bertie Bradford. This is in your, your district. Um, this listener says, I live in Carbon County and I've been horrified by the number of people in this area who aren't taking the pandemic seriously. Many people either don't wear a mask at all, or if they aren't allowed into a store or business without one, they wear it over just their mouth or even just their chin. When is the governor going to become the adult in the room and mandate masks? And when are we as the community going to show that we care enough about each other to wear a mask properly and social distance? So I'll direct this first to to you, Bertie Bradford. Uh, This listener is seeing, it looks like a lot of people not wearing masks or when they're, when they have to, to go into a store, they're, they're kind of just partially wearing the mask. Yeah, I would echo uh, that observation as well. Um, This goes back to some other conversations we've had um, about why this is surging across Utah, particularly across our area, we have found, as, as we've done our case investigations, that um, uh, the theme that a lot of people had 
just kind of figured it wasn't going to reach our area um, because we had done so well for so long. And so they, they gave up some of these uh, protective measures. Their, their mask use fell off or, or social distancing. And uh, so our investigations lately have, they've said, well, I was doing that until just recently. And so um, that fatigue that has gone around uh, much of the state, much of the country, uh, has certainly affected this area. Um, and yet now we're starting to, I believe, slowly see a, a reversal in that as people now know family members and friends that have been affected. Unfortunately, our, uh, we have six deaths now in, in our three counties and, and people, th these were friends and uh, a family of, uh, of our community. So uh, it's unfortunate that that's what has, has to happen to has had to happen to, to cause this shift. But I, I do believe it's on a better trajectory now, but it needs to happen quicker. We need people to put the, cover the, both the nose and the mouth. And, uh, and when you're at work in a training, make sure the mask is on and spread out as much as possible. So um, we're all tired, but um, now's not the time to, to drop our guard. So what what's going to take? Do you think? Um, do, do you know, um, we we talked earlier in the program about education, um, and, and uh, I guess if it strikes close to home, perhaps family by family, that might be what it takes in some uh, families to to change behavior. Uh, is it mandates? We're going to have to go to mandates. Um, you know, I wish I had the answer to that question. What one thing we have noticed is that organizations that um, hold the line pretty firmly on, on mask use, get good compliance. And those that um, maybe waffle a little bit or, or don't bring it up very much, um, that compliance drops off. So um, while there may be uh, people occasionally that uh, walk away because they don't want to wear a mask or, or put up a little bit of a, an argument, um, we just encourage organizations and businesses to just politely say this is how we are going to proceed. We are going to have a mask in, in this business while you're here. And rapidly people seem to adjust that and and improve their behaviors. Uh, let me turn to, uh, um, I want to turn next to uh, Ben Hart with uh, Deputy Director of the Governor's Office of Economic Development. Uh, I don't know if you're in a position to speak for the Governor, <laughs> Ben Hart, but uh, I wonder if you could respond to this yeah. listener in Carbon County. He says, when's the Governor going to mandate masks? Is is that a is, is that still something the Governor holds out? Is that something he would be willing to do? Well, remember, so the, the high designation, I apologize, I'm up in Layton with just a little bit of background noise. We call that the uh, sound of freedom up here. But the governor has mandated masks uh, in the high classification under these new guidelines. So any county who moves to that, um, masks are required. So in terms of a, a mandate, it's when a county reaches a certain severity in terms of transmission, those masks are required. So a lot of our county, counties right now are in that high designation, so the mandate is already in place. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people want to say it's the governor, but all of us have to take responsibility for this. Uh, so the mandate, that's mandated, what, uh, indoors, outdoors, anywhere, to, to wear a mask? We, 
we may have lost Ben Hart. Do we? Do we still have you, Mr. Hart? Yes, oh, I'm still here. Oh, okay, yeah. So, no, so the mandate is, I mean, it's indoors. I think I would want to make sure that I get the absolute right language before I quote it. But, it, again, it comes back to, you know, if you're indoors where the transmission is easily spread, that's something that we're really concerned about. Um, but it also extends, you know, when you're in the grocery store, when you're in outdoor places where you can't stay six feet apart. Um, and I think there's always the question of, when I go jogging, do I need to put on my mask? And the answer is it probably depends. If there's going to be a lot of people around you, it's hard to stay six feet distance. When I go jogging in the morning, for example, I, I typically won't wear a mask because I'm all alone. Um, but I know a lot of people, when they do go outside, they just feel more comfortable in a mask. Um, in terms of the mandate itself and the language that's required, let me look that up just to make sure that I get it right. Um, but, no, it is required in all uh, uh, indoor uh, locations outside of your residence, public locations. I can't remember the exact wording, but again, I think over the holidays we're going to see not only that, but the encouragement to wear masks around even extended family members, anybody that's not in your immediate household. Mm, okay, and so I guess it gets you know for those for those people who say that the the masks are you know the mandate or encouragement to wear masks not working. I guess then it comes down to enforcement or persuasion or because as you as you do mention yeah you point that out that the mask mandate is in effect for those high designation uh, counties uh, let's take a break when we come back we have uh, several emails uh, to get to uh, appreciate that uh, keep those coming um, we uh, we have uh, several people on the line who can uh, probably answer your questions love to get your comments as well utah recently set a new single day record for COVID 19 cases uh, governor herbert has announced new guidelines we've been talking about those and we'll get into talking about the uh, suggestions from utah public health association they're calling for stricter measures to be taken to slow the spread of the uh, coronavirus we're talking about the coronavirus situation in utah and we'll have more following this programming on utah public radio is made possible in part by our members and Import Auto in Logan, a TechNet service center with Ron Stagg and Brian Morgan, offering import and domestic auto repair, including Land Rover, Volkswagen, and Subaru repairs, tune-ups, CB joints, and water pumps. Online at import-auto.biz. I'm Maria Hinojosa, next time on Latino USA. What happens when a transportation agency turns a residential neighborhood in Los Angeles into a ghost town? we find the families who are reclaiming these empty homes. The state is literally hoarding these houses that are empty while people are suffering on the streets. That's next time on Latino USA. Tomorrow morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for a special hour of Access Utah, second hour of the program today. Uh, we wanted to uh, quickly address the situation in uh, in Utah on COVID-19. And uh, so we are talking about that today. And you can get your question and or comment to us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. We'd love to get your comment uh, and or your question. Upraxcess at gmail.com. We're talking with Brady Bradford, health director with the Southeast Utah Health Department. Uh, Caleb Harrison, epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department, and Ben Hart, deputy director of the Governor's Office of Economic Development. And each of these gentlemen are very, very busy, obviously, during this time, so we appreciate them being on uh, with us. Uh, let me get uh, next to a 
a, a question, a common ad question from Joseph and Enoch. Um, who says, a lot of people whom I interact with daily feel like the coronavirus is not real or not all of the restrictions will go. Uh, that uh, Sorry, I'm reading your email badly, Joseph. Let me start over. This is Joseph Anini. A lot of people whom I interact with daily feel like coronavirus is not real or not all of the restrictions will go away after the election. I strongly disagree with those sentiments, and I feel like the guidelines implemented by our state are necessary and helpful for us to save lives and move forward. My question is, what would you recommend me saying to my friends to help them recognize that the restrictions being put in place are for our benefit without creating unnecessary conflict and contention? That's an excellent question, Uh, Joseph. Let me uh, point that, um, first of all, to Brady Bradford, who... uh, uh, He's the health director, not for your area, but close. So I'll, I'll direct this first. What would you say, Brady Bradford, to help Joseph, uh, talking to friends, to help them recognize that restrictions in place are for our benefit without creating unnecessarily uh, conflict and contention? Well, I, I think I, I would start off um, hearkening back to some of these numbers um, that are really sobering as we look at the healthcare availability situation around our state. And just the fact that um, we are seeing real people in hospital and real people that are dying, and and these are our healthcare workers are, are struggling just because of the amount of time they're they're having to put in, and and that's not something that's uh, made up. And additionally, I, I think one of the the great things we can point to now is, you know, for example, in our area we. We took some pretty severe measures early on um, in this, in, in closing down tourism, and in, particularly in Grand County. And we're glad that we don't have to do that because of what we've learned now, uh, that if we can socially distance and, and wear that mask, that those two actions alone will, will do a great job of, of, you know, flattening the curve. curve. And so we, we don't need to... I think we can highlight what we've learned, the, the progress that's been made with, with um, treatments and, and the, the low mortality rate in Utah, um, and, and not focus on too many of the divisive issues. But um, it, it, is, it is real, and um, you know, I, I would love for it to disappear in the next couple of days, but um, for us, we only imagine uh, that it's going to get a little more uh, prevalent in our area as we've had Halloween and Thanksgiving coming up, and we've seen direct correlations with those holidays and, and disease spread. So uh, I don't know how great of an answer that is, but if we can focus on what we've learned and what we know works, I, I would hope that creates some bonds of commonality there. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let me d- point that uh, Joseph's question um, to Ben Hart with the, with the governor's office. What would you suggest to Joseph in having those uh, conversations? I would say that it's absurd to think that this is going away after the election or that this was planted politically. It's very, very unfortunate rhetoric that's going around. We, we have people's lives who are at stake and people disregarding public health advice, orders, direction, you know, purely out of political um, decision-making, that's absurd. It, it's so sad when you see that. So. Mm. 
Um, and uh, I want to get a reaction to, to Joe's question from you, Caleb Harrison. What would you what would you advise him to to on how to engage with uh, you know friends or family who uh, have a different view? Yeah, yeah. No, it is a good question, and um, I think as the others have mentioned, if you, if you look at healthcare workers, public health workers, uh, uh, public employees uh, who are working tirelessly to try and reduce the spread and to treat those who have been infected, uh, as well as those who have been affected by it, uh, either just infected or have family members die due to the virus, I think they would be able to tell uh, people just how real this virus is. And in terms of, you know, are these measures going to go away after, um, you know, the end of this year? I think there's, uh, right now, there are three possible outcomes for for the pandemic. The first is that we, we do nothing uh, and uh, people, life continues as is and, and, uh, and the virus becomes endemic, meaning it just stays around, continues to infect people, more and more people get sick, we have more deaths. Um, the, the second possibility is that, uh, you know, we continue until a possible vi- uh, vaccine becomes available and if enough people get that vaccine, uh, that we can possibly get uh, herd immunity from that to be able to uh, uh, stop the spread of the virus in the community. Um, and then the third outcome is that uh, um, you let it run its course, and if you can possibly gain herd immunity just by having enough people in the population affected, um, uh, and that's a big if, uh, still unknown at this point, if herd immunity is possible through those means. Um, but that last uh, possibility is, is definitely a sobering one because that would mean, uh, by some calculations, over half a million deaths in the U.S. if we continue to let it run its course in that way. So I think in response to that, the part of the question of uh, how long will these restrictions be put in place, I think... Uh, it depends on what the outcome is that we want. I think everybody hopes to be able to um, uh, have the option where we curb spread, where uh, we can uh, get it so that we don't have active cases and we don't have to have these measures in place. But uh, the vaccine is, is uh, still uncertain at this point. Uh, um, and so I think uh, as long as we have... Uh, these measures in place, we can slow the spread, and the sooner we can get back to uh, normal. Uh, I wanted to talk to you, I wanted to follow up with that last scenario, because I do hear this around. Um, I'm not hearing it a whole lot, but I, uh, I'm, I'm hearing it. Um, you know, why don't we just, you know, the suggestion usually isn't, why don't we just let it totally wash over us, you know, maybe some controls, but... Uh, a, a silver lining of, of not a lot of restrictions might be uh, I- under this scenario uh, that we do achieve herd immunity just sort of naturally as the virus goes through. But you're saying um, possible maybe, but but with a with a huge caveat, uh, a, a huge amount of deaths under that scenario is what you're saying. Yeah. So uh, that uh, and I misspoke earlier. The, the first option I, I meant to say was that. Uh, that we eliminate the virus by social distancing and wearing masks. And the third option was that we, we just let it run its course and it becomes endemic. 
um, and possibly achieve herd immunity. So it was a correction for what I said earlier. But that third option, what you mentioned, is a big if. Um, first of all, if herd immunity is possible, uh, you know, the virus is, is less than a year old and, and uh, we only know so much about how long resistance uh, can be achieved to the virus uh, after you get it. And, it, um, you know, there have been uh, confirmed reinfections uh, so just because you've gotten it once doesn't mean you can't get it again. Um, so that's the big question is if herd immunity is possible for this. Um, and then if so, you think maybe the minimum that you would uh, need to have is maybe 60% of the population exposed. And by some estimates that, that uh, you know, you see maybe over a half a million deaths in the U.S. due to that. In addition to that, there's still lots of long-term consequences of COVID that we're still discovering. Again, it's a novel virus. There's new things that we're learning about it every day. Um, some things are that uh, uh, some cases see damage to the heart and lungs and even some, uh, some brain damage or inflammation uh, even months after being infected. Um, and so I think that's the, if, if that's the best approach we have, that's a, a, a grim outlook because of the, the amount of people that may die or have long-term health consequences as a result of just, you know, giving up and letting this virus run its course. Hmm. I want to follow up again on scenario one. Um, you mentioned eliminate. Is is that the right word? So if, if we were to really, if everybody was to really mask up and social distance, tell me more about that scenario. Yeah, um, so we've seen it happen uh, uh, briefly in other parts of the country, but completely in other parts of the world. We've seen uh, New Zealand, for example, uh, go days and weeks on end, I think, by now without any new cases, um, and they've essentially stopped spreading there uh, in their country. And so right now, in that, for example, in the Bear River Health District, we have about 1,000 active uh, cases that are confirmed which means about a 1,000 people in our district who are capable of, of spreading that. Uh, now, when, when someone tests positive, we have the health department call them up uh, and instruct them about isolation for themselves, which means that they are to stay isolated from, uh, from everyone, including family members, as best as they can, to be in their own room, have their own bed, have their own bathroom, so that way they can't spread it to others in their house, uh, because that is the main uh, driver of transmission that we see is from, from household member to household member. And so we instruct people who test positive to stay away from family members. We uh, instruct the people they've been in contact with, uh, their family members, the maybe few social contacts they've had, to uh, undergo quarantine so that way if they uh, did contract the virus, they aren't spreading it to others. And so um, by... Um, following those measures of isolation for the people who test positive and uh, for people who come in contact with them to quarantine, if we have a thousand people um, and in our district who are currently capable of spreading that virus, if they stay home, if they stay isolated from others um, for for that the length of that isolation, uh, we can significantly slow the spread of the virus uh, to the point where it's not spreading to anyone anymore. Um, so that's uh, the process of what's contact tracing that we do at the health department and asking people to stay away from others if 
uh, if people can successfully do that, we can stop active spread. Let's take another break. We'll come back with our last segment uh, with our guests. We're talking about COVID in uh, Utah. And this is a special second hour of Access Utah for today, uh, treating COVID-19 in Utah. Uh, after the break, we'll get to uh, emailed uh, questions and comments from Mark, Dave, and Chris. Thank you for those, and we'd love to treat your question and or comment as well. You can get that to us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and S.E. Needham Jewelers, serving Utah since 1896, offering diamond engagement rings, anniversary bands, gemstone and diamond jewelry, 141 North Main Street in Logan. Information at seneedham.com. What is climate change? How is it affecting our lives? And what can we do about it? We'll connect the dots from energy to extreme weather, public health, the economy, agriculture, and more. Catch Climate Connections weekday mornings at 549 and 849 on Morning Edition and afternoons at 348 during All Things Considered here on Utah Public Radio. This is the second hour, a special second hour of Access Utah. Today, we are talking about COVID-19 in Utah. And our guests include Brady Bradford, Health Director with the Southeast Utah Health Department, Caleb Harrison, Epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department, and Ben Hart, Deputy Director of the Governor's Office of Economic Development. And we'd love to hear from you as well. Um, you can get your question and or comment to us uh, by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Um, so let's get right to uh, some emails we have stacked up here. Thanks for these, and uh, we'd lo- love to hear your question or comment as well, upraxcess at gmail.com. Um, let me... Uh, Let's see. Let me direct this uh, first uh, to Ben Hart, just so you're um, alert. Um, Alerted. I mean, you are alert, but alerted to this question. Um, So Mark uh, says, I've talked to some people that say the majority of the fatalities due to the disease has been in long-term care facilities and that most folks only experience mild symptoms. What's our experience here in Utah? Well, it's it's not the majority um, of fatalities in long-term care facilities, but there certainly uh, is a higher percentage. Um, but that being said, uh, I think there are a good number of people who are able to go with the virus, they're able to get it, they're able to pass it through. As we talked a little bit, though, we don't understand the long-term ramifications as of yet. And so I think there's still research that's being done on that. So even those who are healthy we seem to pass it through okay. Those and I'm one of them that have had pneumonia or other things after a serious respiratory issue. You 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 know what it means to be a long hauler. It, it's not fun, and so that's one issue. But it's not the majority, and there are still other things we just don't know about this virus. So all things considered, it's better to just stay safe, wear a mask, physically distance, and just cut the transmission. Uh, Brady Bradford, uh, what's the experience been in Southeast Utah Health Department? Uh, majority of, I, I think, in Utah, thankfully, we haven't had a huge number of fatalities, but we have had some, and we're starting to have some more. Um, the, the, and Mark says that he's heard nationwide that majority of fatalities have been long-term care facilities. 
most folks only experience mild symptoms. Uh, what's the experience in your health department? So uh, we're f- um, fortunate that uh, none of our long-term care facilities have been um, drastically impacted. They've been very vigilant in all of their uh, procedures for the, since the beginning of the pandemic, which is quite a long time for them. But for those that have died, um, they have had comorbidities, so, so some other health issues. But at the same time, um, this is, you know, the COVID infection seems to be what kind of really uh, put them on, a, on this path that, um, health-wise that eventually led to, to their death. So, um, once again, they, they weren't, they weren't necessarily, they were struggling with some issues, but um, otherwise there was no indication that um, death was, was coming. Um, and so um, that, it's just been a sobering thing for, for all of us. Uh, Caleb Harrison, uh, same question to you for the Bear River Health Department. Uh, um, where have the serious cases uh, come? I'm not sure if we've if we had deaths in, in our district. We have. Uh, we've we've to date we've had 19 deaths in our district. Um, that comes eight from Box Elder County and 11 from Cache County. Um, similar to what Ben and Brady have said, although uh, many of them have come from individuals uh, with pre-existing health conditions and, and uh, in the risk bracket of of older age. Uh, most of those are individuals that uh, would likely still be alive and, and it's not uh, and and would have gone on to live uh, much longer lives. We have had younger individuals uh, pass away due to this virus within our district. So although uh, pre-existing health conditions and age play a factor in it, um, there there are plenty of individuals uh, and as ICU capacity, continues to increase in the state, there will be more um, generally healthy individuals who um, who face uh, tough battles against COVID. Uh, let me stay with uh, let me stay with you, Caleb, uh, Caleb Harrison. Uh, this question is directed to the Bear River Health Department. Uh, Dave asks, "Does the Bear River Health Department follow up on those people who test positive? I want to know what percentage of people have lingering complications, etc." Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, to, to the first question of do we follow up with them? Yes, uh, our procedure is is that when someone tests positive, uh, one of our disease investigators, and we've got about uh, 20 or so of them on staff right now, and they call up the individual who tests positive to check on them, ask them a few questions about how they're doing, uh, check on their symptoms, also check on where they've been, who they've been in contact with, to contact trace and identify who's been in contact with them to be able to put them in quarantine. Um, and those disease investigators continue to follow up with them, especially for those that are high-risk cases, people with underlying health conditions, to be able to see as their, uh, their uh, symptoms evolve over time. Um, in terms of, of lingering health uh, effects, I don't have a great answer to that, mainly because right now we're just trying to keep on top of the new infections that come in. Um, so after uh, about 10 days, is, uh, 10 to 12 days is the average length of infection. Uh, we'll follow up with someone and make sure that their symptoms have cleared and 
if they have, we release them from isolation and, and move on to investigate new cases that come in. Um, in terms of lingering health effects uh, in the district, I don't have that, uh, those data. It kind of requires a larger data set to be able to say with statistical significance what percentage of people might experience long-term uh, health effects due to COVID infection. And um, currently there's a, the COVID symptom study going on, which uh, surveys millions of people who were infected by COVID. So that's a much better representation of, of uh, the, the true effects of, of COVID. And, and from that study right now, it's about 10 to 15% of people infected by COVID don't recover within a few weeks and uh, see long-term health effects uh, including uh, fatigue and labored breathing being the most common among those. We uh, we have some uh, more uh, questions and comments coming in. Thank you for that. We're nearing the end of the hour, so we'll uh, we'll try to fit all these in. So we'll ask uh, our, our responders to to be uh, uh, somewhat brief, but we do appreciate these questions. And if we need to, we'll go a bit over top of the hour if, if gentlemen are, are able to stay, uh, not too much past the, the top of the hour. Uh, so this is uh, Chris in St. George. I'll direct this one to Ben Hart. Uh, Chris says, I believe that if the Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints took a stronger stance on masks, that more people in Utah would adhere. Here in St. George, you rarely see masks at grocery and convenience stores. And Chris says, on a side note, as of last weekend, Tuacon is still doing performances. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll direct that to, uh, to to Ben Hart. What what about that? Would, would the governor's office welcome a, a, an endorsement from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? So there's already been several endorsements from the church. Obviously, I can't speak on behalf of the church, um, but I think I, I am a lay member of the church. I'm serving a bishopric. Um, we have really good mask wearing within our congregation. Um, I, I would just say that there has been a strong um, encouragement from a lot of faith leaders, not just the predominant faith within our state, but with a lot of faith leaders, recognizing this isn't just about... Um, keeping people safe, which it is, but at the same time it speaks to the heart of Christianity or to the heart of religion, love thy neighbor. And I think a lot of that speaks to where the, the different uh, faiths have been at. Um, so, And I think with the mandate, 23 counties, I counted them, are now in high, and so that means in those settings masks are required. And so uh, we're, we're seeing a good balance there. We're seeing it, but I don't see all across the state, so I probably couldn't speak for every part of the state as well. Uh, the uh, next question I'll direct um, first to Brady Bradford. Um, so Julie says, is there a plan to do more testing in schools? If young people are often asymptomatic, then only testing them will when they get symptoms will not identify who can spread COVID. Uh, they can spread it at school, and then if it spreads, uh, then it spreads at home. How will this be addressed? Uh, any plans for more testing in schools? So we, I know that in our area we have uh, set up uh, plans with each of our three school districts to uh, offer a little bit more testing. It's not comprehensive asymptomatic testing yet, but um, we, as we have had some rapid tests made available to us, we are working with each of the school districts to, to provide some to them uh, in, in a in an appropriate way and to make our staff available to test when necessary as well. So um, I testing in our area at least has increased over the past two weeks in our school district and I expect it will continue to 
do so. Um, and uh, uh, quickly, uh, over to the Bear River Health Department, Caleb Harrison, um, uh, plans to expand testing in schools? Yes, uh, similar to what Brady uh, mentioned about their uh, health department. We've got rapid tests being deployed to K-12 through schools, and we're training school nurses on how to administer those tests. That way we can target um, those towards the most at-risk, generally those who have been exposed to others with the virus. Thanks for that, Julie. Uh, this uh, question has come in uh, from Lisa. Uh, Lisa says, my name is uh, Lisa O'Brien, and I'm the founder of the Utah COVID-19 Long Haulers Group. I have rounded up just over 500 of us still struggling with long-term COVID. Some of us have hit eight months or longer. Studies are now showing that at least 10% are ending up with long-term effects, and post-COVID care centers are going up across the country for long haulers. Does Utah have any plans to help those of us dealing with the post-viral symptoms? Is there talk about opening up a post-COVID care center here in Utah? These symptoms look uh, similar to dis um, uh, autonomias, uh, POTS, uh, MECFS, CFS, rather, and some are debilitating. We really need help. Our uh, GPs don't know what to do with us. P.S., she says, we know a lot more about the long-term effect than we did eight months ago. I can send tons of patient-led studies that we have done in groups and other, uh, other studies. Uh, let me direct this uh, to Ben Hart. What, um, any, any awareness of this or plans on for long haulers? You know, it's a great question. Um, we're studying it. I know our team at the state is staying up to date on all the best practices from across the country. I don't know that we have any firm plans as of yet, but uh, I think we'll see more on that as research becomes available and how do we help this community that may have a lot of uh, long-term effects. We don't know what the population, the percentages are yet, but we are staying up to date on best practices and talking through what we can do. And Lisa, if you'll send us, uh, just upraxis at gmail.com, send us those, those, that information. We can forward it on to the, these gentlemen here. Uh, well, we've reached the uh, end of our time. Thank you so much. A lot of good information here uh, with this very serious situation, COVID-19 in Utah. Brady Bradford, Health Director with the Southeast Utah Health Department, has been with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Thank you, and uh, thanks for the work you do. Caleb Harrison, epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thanks for the work you do. Ben Hart, Deputy Director of the Governor's Office of Economic Development, thank you. Thank you. Honored to be with you today. Thank you. Thanks for the work you do. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be covering this as we go along, of course. Uh, thanks for listening today to Access Utah. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide, member-supported service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, UPR.org, and the UPR app.